Welcome to the boat, everybody. We're back. I'm Ryan. I'm Robo Wally. And I'm tired. <laughs> Hi, tired. Nice to meet you, tired. <laughs> uh, no, I'm Grant. Yeah, nobody could have guessed that. Nobody could have guessed <laughs> yeah. that. It's not like you've ever listened to this show before. Grant it's not like is anyone's tired. ever listened to the show before. Yes. So uh, today on the bracket, we're kind of doing like a, a micro celebration and that we're finishing up one side of the first round of our bracket. Um, yeah, that's it. It feels like it's been a quite a long time and it also feels like we just started. Um, maybe that's just because we watched basically the same movie a couple of times. <laughs> no, but yeah. Today on the podcast, I'm glad you knew immediately that I was talking about you, Grant. <laughs> yeah, my, my bracket is all just <laughs> variations on a theme. Yes. Um, so today on the podcast, we're talking about RoboCop versus Spider-Man 2. Uh, which one would we like to talk about first? Oh, man. Professionals would have figured this out before they started right. recording the oh, show. I don't think so at point. all. Let's, uh, let, let's. Let's start uh, Spider-Man 2. How about that? We'll we'll start happy and light and fun. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Grant, since this is your pick, do you want to give us a little bit of a rundown? Oh, this was my pick? Yeah, I forgot if this was Dude. your pick or my pick, Grant. Yeah, honestly, because honestly, I'll say this off this top. Movie. This is going to be a very difficult deciding which one I like more. Because I haven't even decided yet. I'm going to you know wait for the discussion and everything. This was, this was a difficult one. Yeah, so uh, Spider-Man 2. Everybody knows Spider-Man. You don't need... Uh, this is Spider-Man versus Doc Ock um, the, from the original Sam Raimi trilogy. Um, Spider-Man, the way it was intended. Uh, Tobey Maguire in the lead as Spider-Man. Uh, Kirsten Dunst um, as MJ. Alfred Molina as Doc Ock. Um, and then uh, the other real important cast member to call out J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson, the uh, primary universal thread across all the different um, Spider-Man <laughs> IP from that, video yeah. games to TV to movies. He is uh, as iconic in that role as you can get. Um, and it all started in this trilogy. Uh, Spider-Man 2 was an answer to the um surprisingly popular popular spider-man one um a superhero movie that came around before um the trend had really picked off uh or kicked off um it was surprisingly successful um at which point uh sony pictures immediately contracted sam rainey to do the uh remaining two films um its uh, budget was an estimated $200 million. Jesus. Uh, grossed around $373 million in U.S. and Canada, uh, $788 million worldwide. Um, this is a, a movie that is uh, very, very near and dear to me. I remember it, it having so many different cross-platform engagements when it came out. There were songs by train on the radio written for the soundtrack of this film that were really popular at the time. Um, Ordinary, I think I, I remember um, that was one of the things that first sort of triggered my interest in the movie. You know, young 10 oh, to 12 okay. year old Grant hearing this song on the radio and like a, a rock and roll song about a superhero on the radio. Heck yeah. Um, and then there was a PS2 game uh, up until the recent Spider-Man PS4. It was the Love that best, game. best superhero video game to ever come out. 
Um, and then uh, the movie itself was uh, wildly impactful. Um, it showed superheroes um, and comic books uh, the way I, I really think um, they they were intended to be uh, as as paragons of virtue, examples of how to behave and be better. Um, and so it was, I, I mean, a charming movie front to back, fantastic action. Um, I'll kick it over to you guys. Yeah, charm is definitely the key word here with this movie. Charm and, and a lot of heart. Like I was texting these guys the other day. This movie made me cry three times just watching it yesterday. Just it has those emotional beats. And I think that really makes it rise above a lot of um, superhero movies, uh, especially of the time it came out. And like even now, you know, you can't see it as just uh, an action superhero movie. But thankfully, there's more to it than than just that. Just it really explores the idea of what an ordinary person would go through if they're trying to balance their life and on top of being a superhero it's like it's very relatable to that which i think you know it's the reason why spider-man is is the favorite of a lot of people it's like he's not a rich billionaire you know he's not some alien from some planet he's just an ordinary guy who just happens to be a superhero too um one of the things that i i do right off the 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 top for this movie um, is, you know, comparisons to modern superhero films uh, versus this one. Um, one thing I, I think that really makes it stand out is I feel like Spider-Man 2 um, is truly a comic book movie. Um, so where, especially with the modern Marvel and, and DC cinematic climate, um, there's this commitment to uh um, almost a false realism, a, a gritty, dark realism mm. that I don't think um, is like long-term sustainable. Um, you know, I, I think it was perfect for its first round of a cinematic universe, but um, they are superhero films rather than comic book films. It's, it's all supposed to like take place in our current world, whereas Spider-Man 2 um, because of the sort of perpetual uh, golden hour lighting, because of the, the goofiness uh, and um, uh, levity that's interjected with um, periods of emotional despair and dark, you know, this movie bounces between tones effectively, but also erratically. You know, we, we can go from um, someone having a, a complete internal emotional schism to uh, raindrops keep falling on my head and, and eating hot dogs in the street. And um, it, it balances all these tones well, but I think the, the levity and the deliberate separation from our reality is, is really what sets this apart from other superhero films. And to go into the comic book feel, like, not only does it feel like a comic book, I also think it feels like it's really one person's vision. Like, just some of the bold choices, like, we were talking about the different tones, like, the raindrops falling on my head. Like, there's a freeze frame at that point that feels like a very 90s sitcom, but also just goes into the comic bookness of it all. It, it feels like something that wouldn't be done in a movie 
today, you know, you could say it's because that was of the time to kind of do stuff like that. But it really feels like it was just like one person's vision. Like Sam Raimi was like a big fan of the golden era of Spider-Man. That's why, you know, he wanted to pick villains like Doc Ock and Green Goblin. And then when you get, you know, to the third movie, that's where uh, a lot of people say that's when there was a lot of interference with the execs of like, you know, Venom's popular. You got to put Venom in the movie. He didn't really know anything about Venom. So these, yeah, the first two Spider-Man movies and especially the second one, I think that vision of a comic book movie with someone who understands comic books really came together and really set the groundwork for pretty much everything since. Ryan, you've been a, a little quiet over there. Are you ready to dunk on our, our favorite? Yeah, child? do it. Do it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah. So um, right off the bat, I, I, said for quite a long time that I really love this movie and watching it with a critical eye it it felt hollow and part of that was because the main act the <laughs> Toby Maguire and Kirsten Dunst have no charisma and feel like they don't really have any sort of connection at all like there there is like a 25 second scene when they're in the backyard after what is it Aunt May's birthday party and she they they like alternate not saying anything but slowly changing their facial expressions for i would say a good 25 seconds and a line that is in and it's a longer scene and the line of that is oh boy yeah like there's yeah, <laughs> that okay, is hilarious but that one's delivered so well but... no yeah. it wasn't like, it wasn't i think it, Toby that's not how a human being dope. reacts no, I, it, again, it's very comic book, though. I don't yeah, think exactly. it is. It, I don't think it is. I, I think, and, you know, maybe this does get back to my idea, or the thing that I kind of bring up a lot is, is this the best medium for something like this? If you're saying that, oh, that's very comic booky, keep it in a comic book. A comic book might be the best medium for this. And nope. But, but, okay, I'm gonna fight against mm, that. Like, please, into, go ahead. Into, no, into no. the Spider Verse <laughs> is another example of a very good comic book movie. It approaches comic books from a very different standpoint. A better comic, but, but pulls off. It it pulls off. Um, I think of it like you know fusion cuisine. Um, it, it, just because but that is a cart that is an animated movie, so yeah. it is able to add elements of like like digital elements of comic books you see the texturing you see these added things you don't get any of that in this movie i disagree i think you do get some of that it's obviously it's very tweaked um down like you were just saying a lot of back and forth of like no dialogue that i could see that perfectly happening in a comic book like the fact that the camera is so up close of their oh, like you, facial expressions basically and wouldn't like, have that in a comic book you wouldn't have six panels of them just looking at each other with slightly different images i've got a comic book on my yeah my, you would okay, feel like right here that, that i can um there's like no that, fucking might... way i'm sorry that's not what comic books are comic books would have maybe maybe four panels of that and then it would go into another thing of dialogue or they would have a little aside or you'd have an internal narrative in this movie, you get none of what they're thinking and just weird facial expressions. That's wrong. That's incorrect, Brian. It's these movies start with a narration of Toby Maguire introducing the movie. That again feels very 
comic book. Okay, but that's too. I'm talking about this very specific scene where you should have some sort of internal dialogue explaining how Peter's feeling or explaining how Kristen Dunst is, and you just get half-assed, poorly acted facial expression. Right. Okay, Ryan, you are arguing <laughs> against the 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 film thesis of show don't tell. You don't you don't want the using internal dialogue. And but if you're like a comic that, book, if you're trying to be a comic book movie. You need to have comic. You need to have more comic book elements. I mean, shit. They did that in Spider Verse. They had that I, internal dialogue where you'd see these little thought bubbles and stuff. There I, was that addition to it. I will say, I think what saves those scenes, like, yeah, they are cheesy, but I think what saves those scenes is the music, and that's something you can't do in comic books. Like the score for this, like, it really elevates that scene of like these are awkward friends coming together. Like that's something that's elevated in the medium of film and. Like Grant, Grant's saying, you don't always need to tell the audience what they're supposed to be feeling like. These are awkward characters. That's, well, I didn't that's feel crazy. anything at that point because it was so blatantly <laughs> obvious that the two actors seem to be struggling with acting. And I think <laughs> but, since then, these actors have gotten significantly better. But doesn't Tony McGuire not really act? Anymore? Well, he so his one big I think it was called Brothers where he's like destroying this cat. He comes home from war and finds out that his brother has been cheating on him or his wife has been cheating on him with his brother. And you'd see a very, very emotional scene of him, like destroying basically his kitchen. Like there's, there's points where he's gotten more subtle in certain aspects and he's gotten more um, bombastic, not bombastic, but he, he, he can show his emotions a little bit better. I feel like he, and maybe it's just his youth and his just, lack of experience but it, it i feel that works so much for the character of spider-man specifically the spider-man I, of this trilogy it's like he's the awkward character especially that peter parker he's the nerd between being awkward and being a bad actor there <laughs> it pulled me out so hard that toby Maguire couldn't like even but, the stuff where he was supposed to be awkward felt just like he was just nothing. Look at, wasn't, look at his scenes with with Aunt May, his scenes with Uncle Ben, even his scenes with with his one um, scene with Uncle Doc, Ben, please. Doc Ock and and um, uh, his wife. Um, I I think the you know you're you're talking about an interaction between those two characters where Peter's at his almost highest internal conflict of. Um, do I want to be Spider-Man and is deliberately putting up barriers between himself and the people that he cares about. So that way the no lines do get crossed and he doesn't run the risk of giving into his desires to have this life independent of um, his responsibilities. Having great power with great responsibility. Yeah. And, and that's the, the scene that you're talking about where does that mean that the chemistry is challenged is that that is, the the whole internal struggle there so it makes sense that those characters wouldn't connect because one of them's deliberately putting up barriers but here's okay so that goes into kind of my second point does this movie completely negate the idea that with great power comes great responsibility because by the end peter gets everything he wants despite having this internal like it nothing Mm. seems to be resolved the conflict of this movie is internal for peter Actually, it's kind of the main thing is is Peter trying to decide whether he can be Spider-Man and also be a normal human being. And I feel like that doesn't he doesn't fix anything or he doesn't seem to change anything throughout the film. But then at the end, he does get everything he wants. He gives that up for a little bit, 
then decides I need to be Spider-Man, but then in becoming Spider-Man, then he ultimately gets Mary Jane back. Yeah, she runs but, out of the theater, but, but nothing the, gets resolved. The difference there <laughs> is that it's it's not he is he is being true to himself and owning his responsibilities, and he steps away from Mary Jane. Mary Jane picks up her own set of responsibilities yeah, and choice. says, "Yes, I recognize that being with you is a risk, is a danger, but it is something." I want and you deserve to be saved too. And then she takes on her own set of responsibilities. Peter, just because we have a happy ending doesn't mean that he hasn't learned his lesson or abdicated responsibility of being Spider-Man. Think in that emotional moment when he does get Mary Jane, he doesn't get a hugger. He doesn't get a kisser. They don't get to physically connect because he has to go Mm-hmm. immediately take off and go do his spider-man responsibilities and she accepts that yes. yeah the whole thing is he's they're like we'll just her. figure it out in in fact i think he's gaslighting her so hard i think this movie more than um it, it is my favorite superhero film because the superhero um may be the one who saves the day but he doesn't do it by being a superhero he does it by being a human at the end of the day, the Doc Ock is the one who actually saves the day and drowns the fusion reaction in the river. And he does that because rather than Spider-Man punching him really hard or using his powers, he connects with him and Spider-Man, Peter Parker in this case, I shouldn't call him Spider-Man because it's Peter. Peter synthesizes everything that he's learned, the lessons of power and responsibility uh, from Uncle Ben, the conversations about intelligence and duty from Doc Ock himself earlier in the film about being steady and being willing to give up what's most important to you in order to do the right thing from Aunt May. He synthesizes all that into an empathetic conversation with Doc Ock, brings him back to the senses, the man he was at the start. And then Doc Ock is the one who saves the day. I think that is, that is fucking that's heart-wrenching and awesome and that's what makes it a good superhero film is because it's not the superhero it is the man that saves the day at the end of it so then i I will i will counterpoint with then why did we need the artificial intelligence subpoint of doc ock why did they make that such a big deal is that now he's being controlled by these tentacles rather than them controlling him because the inhibitor chip broke you didn't need that and it seemed like it was kind of a MacGuffin at the end that he was able to overcome them just through being human when they were already so powerful and kind of controlling him. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't you then just make, get rid of the idea of artificial intelligence completely in those tentacles? Seemed stupid, seemed like a complete waste. Make his wife dying be the point that sets him off and says, I have to complete this because my wife died for this project. Make him go a little nutty that way and then at the end, come to terms with the completing what I wanted isn't going to bring her back, isn't going to fix this. Like, I, I feel like there was such a disconnect between because why he turned evil and why he eventually is able to be redeemed. Because the difference is he's not an evil person. Sam Raimi. But that doesn't, doesn't matter. He doesn't make yeah. movies. If with there's evil an artificial people. intelligence that's controlling his mind. It doesn't matter whether he's evil or not. No, but Ryan, it's it's the same it's the same thing as the the core concept of Spider-Man, the idea that anybody could be Spider-Man. Spider-Man could be just the person down the street. It's the same thing with the villains in Doc Ock. Anyone could be the villains in the Spider-Man movie if they if they give in, if they go off the track, but at their core, these people aren't 
evil. I'm not yeah, like friends choice. or But that's the problem things, is but... that the the arms seem to be evil and seem to be just hell bent on creating that that thing. Yeah, I was thinking more of that like it's artificial intelligence, but they're just like made for one purpose. So they don't necessarily I mean, we as an audience will see them as evil, but but their purpose the technicals aren't gonna to see com- it as evil. Like I have one job, I have to make this fusion reactor. Yes. We gotta do that at all costs. And he so, shouldn't you know. be able to overcome that at the end just by being good or just by realizing it. It seemed like they had told the entire movie, they had made it seem that his brain had gotten completely fried and you know it had just been taken over by these robot arms. I guess, yeah, there could have been a little bit more inner conflict of him. Just, like at first he was like, we could steal the money. He's like, no, I'm not a criminal. I'm not going to do that. There could have been more scenes of that. Just maybe, make yeah, it. At- just make it about his wife. Make it have this deep, and that's that's kind of um, going into the the new Spider-Man. Alfred Molina's character in that is so much more dynamic and interesting in this new movie, in a way that I really wish he was in this movie. I kind of disagree with that. I feel he's just kind of an evil villain in the new movie. Like they expand like oh, more he's not like at all. him looking. Yeah, no, he totally he gets, is. Until he, gets he, gets, his, he gets fixed. He slowly learns to come back. It's like he That's has the arc the end of the movie, he No, he gets fixed in the middle of the movie. And then, and he then he's like gone for most of the movie. Sorry, spoilers. Oh, he, <laughs> he fights he fights with these bad guys because he's become he's become good and he he's been Well, that's what Grant's trying to say is like this guy was no, always no, no. Like a but, good guy though. But it was place. only when he got his thing fixed. So that's what I'm saying is that this movie is inconsistent in the motivations of the villain. But well, the it, robot is like clouding his judgment. And, and That's remember, the whole thing. The robot yeah, is remember. controlling him. In the beginning of the movie, they say those those robots, this artificial intelligence is so powerful. How are you going to fix that? He goes, guess what? I'm never out of control. Yeah, Look but this chip. But and Ryan, then the chip he, gets fried and they so take over. Have you ever made a a bad choice based on a strong impulse, something that you, you maybe knew was wrong and, and those choices cascade or, or similar to think of like addiction or depression, mm-hmm. you know, you are, you are from robot that, arms. <laughs> you, no, but that's, but that's the comic book version of that to yeah. like really bring that out there. This, but yeah, this like is, he, yeah. he knows he's making the wrong choices and he has the willpower when he has the, the support and clarity and conversation of, you know what, this this isn't the right, think about what you taught me at the start. This isn't the right way to go about it. And he is able to overcome those bad impulses, yes. those bad choices, and, and I know and move on. That's it. how it should have been. But that's how it was. This that's is not how they detail. laid it out in the movie. This, this is a tiny that's not detail. not how they like... laid out what the arms do okay. in the movie. <laughs> at one not point, a tiny like... detail when it's the villain of the movie. No, 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 you're not letting me speak <laughs> Go ahead, Walt. At one point where, like, he's really beating the shit out of Dr. Octopus, the arms are, like, starting to be damaged. Like, they're in less control at that point. You see the arms coming out of the water. There's, like, static coming, like, out of the arms. I think that's to kind of show, like, people are going to have that opinion of, like, oh, these are all powerful arms. They're they're weakening at this point. They're not at their strongest anymore. I think that's a little bit of a detail to kind of show, like, okay, the arms are losing their power here. If you... Yeah, I find that completely uncompelling. 
And I find it, I am. Because they say at the beginning of the movie, too, that those things are fucking indestructible. That's their whole goddamn thing at the beginning of the movie. They're resistant to damage. They're resistant to all this stuff. They they highlight all of these... They highlight all of these things about these arms, making it seem like they're going... They are the villains of this movie. And then at the end, it's just like they just get cocked by a dude who has intense feelings. Well, let's like, let's let's that's turn this, not, this the robots can't that's handle not good the feelings, writing. man. They're robots. Let's turn <laughs> this argument on its head a little bit though. I don't think Doc Ock is the main villain here. It's it's Peter Parker. He's the the crux of the film is he is fighting with himself. It's mm. Peter Parker versus Spider-Man. Doc Ock is a a tertiary goal in this who, you know, gets the the final battle partly because yeah, it's a comic book and you got to have a final battle, but this is yeah. the, you know, Doc Ock has the occasional scene in between the core yeah, movie, movie is Peter creative villain, creative villain like Doc Ock who has a mirrored thing where he loses that person that is most important to him. Like Peter could potentially lose MJ. Make that connection. Make that the crux of why he's trying to complete this is for her. Make him be the mirror of mm. what Peter Parker might potentially become if he loses MJ because of his powers. There was there was a chance for that. I wanted that, and I just didn't. It became such a basic, boring, simple movie that seemed to focus too much on, like I said back in the day, bad actors. <laughs> But, but you... if the focus is going to be Peter Parker, who's a mediocre actor, when you have somebody who is actually doing quite well with Alfred Molina and he just becomes a side character, it just nothing about this movie hit to me. You've changed the focus of the film, though, because it's not what is what is Peter without Mary Jane, but it's what is Peter without accepting responsibility. Without being Spider-Man. You know, yeah, yeah Doc, Doc Ock at the beginning gives Peter a whole speech about intelligence you know not being a a privilege it is a gift and it is your duty to use it for humanity and he sees in doc ock someone who has accepted his gift accepted his responsibility and found love in that process but you know what in accepting his gift and responsibility he's lost his love and so now spider-man peter parker doesn't fight Doc Ock at the end to kill him and defeat him. He fights Doc Ock to save him. He connects on an empathetic level and helps him realize you need to pick back up that responsibility that you dropped when you lost your wife and take care of your shit. I, and he does. This is what I have. That's what I'm arguing, but that's not what the movie presented. That's not how the movie laid it out as what the conflict was going to be. That's not, Unfortunately, that's not how it ended. That's how it should have ended. Yes, absolutely. But that's not how it ended based on how they laid out what the character was. That is how it ended. That's that's beat for beat what that final conversation with Doc Ock was. I mean, I kind of see your point, Ryan, of mentioning the wife more. And like, like thinking about this movie, I thought that was a bigger impact for him, which I mean, again, I feel like it's there. He doesn't mention his wife ever again. Ever again he's in like, the movie. Oh, I've I lost everything. Gone. My Rosie is gone. Like when he's going to that that one place where he's going to rebuild the thing, he mentions her there. Okay. He's like reflecting of like I've lost everything. It's there, right? It, it's it's it may... it's not there to the point where it should have been. I think there was there was easy ways where they could have made comparisons between the villain, the villain. Okay of the movie and the hero of the movie. 
But then if you're going to say it's Peter versus Peter, then it means that it's just, re- it does the exact same thing in Spider-Man 3. Is that it's Peter versus Peter. Yes. Okay. Yes. Then why do we have two movies doing the same fucking thing? Because we need to have Venom in our third movie because yeah. everyone loves goddamn Venom. That, that, that was a, uh, a loss of uh, director. You know, that's why now Kevin Feige does all the Marvel stuff instead of having, um, you know, one guy with a bunch of studio input is because the studio input killed the Sam Raimi vision. Well, Kevin Feige um, is the studio input. He just is more domineering about it. I think he's head of Marvel Studios. I don't think he directs yeah. any of these movies. No, but he he is the he, the, he centralized vision. Yes. Whereas as Sam Raimi in for this trilogy was the centralized vision up until this. Yeah. So studio input was wrong. Um, there needs no, to be a, a central uh, controlling force um, to keep a coherent uh, story going. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, you wind up with repeats or um, negations of what you've already talked about. That is a good point. Just a lot of inner conflict. I do get that confused with the third movie. The third movie does definitely repeat a lot of that. At least from what I remember, it's been a hot minute since I've seen that one. <laughs> yeah, now I, I would be, what could be fun would have been putting Venom in the second one. So then you have the arms corrupting Ock and the Venom suit corrupting Peter. And so then you have a, a, a parallel... Um, power thing going on that could have been cool and different but that's that's an entirely getting one idea i heard this is not yeah this is not my own idea but the astronaut that gets dumped at the (laughs) end of this movie i heard people say like what if he becomes venom in the third one because he has actually reasoned that yeah a peter parker that's a really that's a way better thing than just having eddie brock (laughs) that's just a random dude all also, right, James right. Franco was completely useless in this movie. He yeah. is, yeah. <laughs> it's like two conflicting stereotypes about people who are, who are dealing with loss. It's like, I am also a workaholic, but I'm also shit-faced drunk all the fucking time. It's too funny. That was Just where he lives, too, it's just a spooky, evil castle. Because <laughs> that was the comic book stuff that I really loved in this movie. And I will say, yeah, James Franco was just kind of there to just give Doc Ock what he wants. One scene, okay, one thing where I was like, didn't need to be in the movie is like hinting that he's going to become the next green goblin like the ghost of his dad coming back i was like this dumb that's like future marvel movies putting their end credit scene but it worked for me because the next scene where he's at the church everyone has black bow ties he turns around he has a goofy smile and he has a green bow tie i'm like okay well, yeah, and that's where, you know, a, a unified vision from Sam Raimi, that would have been a good setup to the third and final film in the trilogy, but then that that had to change. Because originally it was going to be just Sandman and the New Goblin, um, but they didn't think Sandman was uh, a billable enough villain to be able to pull it off, so they pushed through Venom. It's kind of um, I do think that the, uh, the train scene in this movie is Oof, one of the all-time best superhero movie scenes and something that they've been trying to chase the high of ever since. Oh, I mean, yeah. even, even in the new Spider-Man movies, like they tried to do something similar with the boat. They, they tried to do similar stuff in Iron Man. In um, I think they uh, did it in Dark Andrew Night Garfield's Rises. one too. I can't remember what it was. Like every... Every iteration of Spider-Man has tried There's, to do that scene. Yeah. But I, I don't Not, think any of them come come as close and, to that or no. the emotional apotheosis that happens after with the people of New York. I, and, I, yeah. 
even the fact that it's during the day is a big deal because I feel a lot of action sequences, even in Marvel movies now, are at night to kind of hide the CG. This, they're just showing you everything. And that's another thing, too. Like, there's more shots like where when it's like Doc Ock, that it's like a just a human, we can see his face and everything, where that didn't hold up so well. But like, I would say this is still like my favorite like version of the Spider-Man costume, at least like in a movie. Not so much like, you know, um, I feel they've tried to make it more and more comic book, but I think this was the perfect mashup of like a comic book and like a real tactile like suit. I think this is the best that Spider-Man like the suit has ever looked still to this day. Yeah, one of the things that really helps that CG from a a, uh, cinematography standpoint is Sam Raimi does a great job of cutting live action interstitials between the cg so you know you'll see big swings and stuff uh done in cg but then when spider-man crashes into a building or you know punches doc ock it does a quick cut in to the live action actors doing it and mm-hmm. then you cut back out to the wider cg and having i think those interstitial live action moments really um help uh carry some of the weight that cg couldn't back in the day they weren't afraid to merge those yeah two things where now it's like 90 percent of that would be cg but i will say yeah as much as that train scene is cool i don't know what it is just maybe i'm getting older i felt that's the point in the movie where i felt the most numb i'm like i've seen this like dozens of times it's still freaking cool but i'm like i feel nothing (laughs) (laughs) anymore i'm like it feels like a video game like i recognize it's very well done it's super cool, but it's like I have this scene like memorized in my head. You know, it's just like I've seen it so many times that that's where I feel the most numb watching this movie. And it's like getting older, all the emotional beats, be them cheesy or ill-defined. See, those are really what impacted me more. I wish there was uh, a yeah. little more fight in the people. Like, yeah, they stepped up, but then immediately got pushed to the side and nobody did anything. <laughs> nobody even tried uh, to like grab onto an arm or reach when he put like... Yeah, just a little kid gnawing on an arm or something. Just any, yeah, any sort of <laughs> anything besides, ah, smash against the wall. Ooh, and I love all the extras in this. Like, we want to talk about bad acting. My God. <laughs> They're just such, like, real people. And I think that really just adds to it. Just, I love the loud train conductor where, like, this guy is trying to save everyone's life. And, Talking like, shit. comes in front of the train. He's like, you got any more bright ideas? Yeah, buddy? it's like, fuck you, dude. <laughs> Yeah, I got a few. I'm a New Yorker. I, I'm, even if I'm going to die, I'm going to be an asshole. <laughs> but I do That's have some weird trivia. All Ooh. right. So the Lyric the- Theater where Mary Jane was performing, um, that became a different, it's named something different. But did you guys know that Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, the like very horrible musical <laughs> that injured many, many people, uh, actually was at that same theater like four years later, I think. Full circle. Yes. Guess. So it's just a weird <laughs> a weird connection that I don't know if the people who made the musical specifically said that because of this movie or if it was just a weird coincidence, but there is connection That's between, amazing. yeah, between amazing. this movie and the Spider-Man musical. That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> No, and isn't the storyline for that just the first movie too? Like it's no. just the same Raimi movie, pretty much. 
no the they, more villains they bring in the sinister like it's it's more a complete sinister six they include okay. like a god like arachne who's like a the spider oh. god and gotcha. I, it's oh. weird there's a, it's weird it's all it's a horrible musical um they did what sony couldn't they did the sinister six thing it's what sony oh yeah been trying to do for have, years have you heard that <laughs> song it's horrible <laughs> it's so bad but um also the um the poem he was reading was about like a native american couple who just gets brutally murdered it's jesus yeah it's very messed up and um he was the guy who wrote it was friends with like nathaniel hawthorne but he the this guy his name's um oh it's something longfellow um but he's like a he is like one of the people credited with coming up with the like noble savage archetype Mm. it's not not great to have in your movie yeah (laughs) i don't know why they would ever pick something like that for him to read maybe it's just supposed to be because he's an idiot (laughs) he just picked up up any book that says poetry and just thinks it's great um maybe maybe that's what it is he's got a lot more layers when you think about it i i guess (laughs) but i just thought I, those were my two. That's stupid. hilarious. On, on, other, on thing. other literary references, you guys pick up on that Great Gatsby shit in the beginning of the movie. Um, you know, they, so think about the only opening monologue or the only monologue, internal monologue in the whole film is that that opening scene, that introduction that then does the close up on the billboard of Mary Jane's eyes, like the eyes of Dr. Eckel, whatever. Um, and it, it's, you know, it's Mary Jane. We say Mary Jane is God. <laughs> we, <Yes. it's>, possibly. <laughs> uh, but then you see, so that, and that's the opening is her billboard. And then you keep seeing over the course of the movie posters of her, like up on the walls and stuff in the city and other shots of that billboard in the background when he's first going to take his big jumps again after trying to get his powers back. And um, there, there were a, a couple of great Gatsby parallels in there that I'm like, okay, this is more there. There's enough in here that it has to that be intentional. Great up stretch. <laughs> is it, is it, well, <laughs> is it well done? No, but it was oh. definitely, definitely seemed deliberate. Mary Jane is God and she's watching Peter Parker all the time. It should have, yeah, it, it should have been Uncle it time, Ben. Isn't it time somebody saved your life in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, except Jesus Christ is your Savior and your life is now saved? Because remember Mary Jane's last words to yes. Peter in the movie? Yeah, yeah. So that was the, this joke. <laughs> why she wants to be married? Why she wants to be married in the church too? There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The, see, the more you say it, it's the more Catholic thing to do. Yeah, I gets, do love. Uh, I do love the line. If you punch me, I bleed. <laughs> Like, that, that was you really usually funny. don't bleed when somebody punches you. <laughs> <laughs> He's just yeah, that way. <laughs> if you oh, cut me, wow, if you do damn, anything you but punch like a peach. <laughs> <laughs> if you punch me, I bruise up in the next day or two, and then yeah, I my head will explode. I still I still no, love no. that at the core of this movie is the lesson that you know things doing the right thing is hard and you're going to have to make you're going to have to make sacrifices you're going to have to be steady to help other people um but you know what it's the right thing to do and the world is a better place every time you do it oh my god amen brother there (laughs) well i mean there is the peter parker in the train where he does the jesus moment 
Sorry. Yeah, I was just back, thinking that when I'm you going guys back to the God, Mary Jane is God and Peter Parker mm-hmm. is sacrificed for God. Yeah, he's being crucified and then resurrected because he like, dies on the train and then uh, he, yeah. he's reborn. And he's reborn Three and seconds later. comes together with God. <laughs> well, it's where <laughs> this is an works. excellent transition as uh, Robocop was billed by Mr. Villanova as the American Jesus. Um, he's done a number of interviews. Yeah, yeah. So there's Robocop a lot. Was, I, Robocop yeah. was written as a Jesus allegory f- mm-hmm. for the American public. He's spoken out this like specifically. The director of the movie Very spoken out this specifically in many interviews. I think this is an excellent time to transition. Wally, do you want to give us the Robocop? All right. The year is 1987. Sci-fi action film Robocop is released, directed by Dutch di- director Paul Verhoeven. Um, he's known widely in America for his sci-fi films with a satirical twist such as RoboCop, Total Recall, and Starship Troopers, but is known more broadly for very artsy films. The film uh, stars Peter Weller as the titular RoboCop uh, with Nancy Allen as Lewis, his partner, and a host of business executives and criminal warlords uh, such as the dad from that 70s show. Um, this film was made on a budget of $13.7 million, so a very small budget even for the time, and grossed $53.4 million. It's a cult classic that still remains to be relevant today. It has two forgettable sequels and a forgettable remake, but everyone remembers the original RoboCop. So this is this is like my fifth time watching it, so... You guys popped your RoboCop cherry with this one. So what did you guys think of RoboCop? So it's satirical glory. It, uh, <laughs> I did, had to do more research for this movie than any other one that we've done. It actually made me read a book. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had, uh, Wally, I, I heard you mention the, the word satirical a couple of times. And, and that's really what it, it comes you know, that is the, the core of this film is, is satire, you know, everything from the stylish over the top violence to the militarization of police change, um, the mm-hmm. corporate, corporate company over of, uh, America and, um, you know, the, uh, unstoppable, uh, internally destructive might of the, the military machine. Uh, military complex industrial military complex those are the words god it's hard to talk when you don't sleep um uh the the thing that i really had to look at at the end of this movie though was i saw all the things it was reaching out and commenting on um but is it effective satire is it good satire or is it just commentary or or cheap you know what Mm. what separates good effect, effective satire from propaganda what separates good satire from um you know just uh self-congratulating virtue signaling um you know there's there is i, I i'm not going i think robocop does an excellent job at um doing satire you know i, I don't want to make it sound like i'm gonna bring the hammer down on it for that but i i had to read a lot of satirical essays you know I, I had to do a lot of research on the different kinds of satire and 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 you know actually educate myself to form an opinion yeah no um, i feel being thrown blind into this movie you're gonna be like what the fuck did i get myself into 
yeah, you know? I thought I was getting an action flick, and then I get healthcare commercials and that's news <laughs> fear porn, and it's just it it was not at all what I was expecting going in because like yeah. I, I've heard my dad talk about the movie, and you know his one comment was you know it was the the goriest film I'd ever seen, and you know that that was the context that I had was that it was especially for someone who grew up in the you know 70s 80s, and that is your introduction to um action films and, and something like that you know that this movie would be shocking for that um uh so you know i went in expecting sort of knowing our tastes expecting a cheesy action film um similar to con air and got a real in-depth think piece on the uh american culture and, and psyche i feel this movie has it both ways though i think you can see it as just an over the top action movie like a con air but especially like upon like rewatches and everything like this movie changes i feel every time i watch it like i initially watched it in high school saw it was on netflix i'm like oh robocop for that's pro- that's probably really dumb 80s action movie right so like for the first half i was like laughing through the whole thing i'm like this is ridiculous this is really over the top and then yeah like at the like kind of twist where he's fighting the other robots and then the cops come down on him and it's this like redemptive piece i was like oh there even then i was like oh there's more to this movie than just being a action movie but there's definitely plenty of action like if you just want that in a movie this movie will definitely sustain that but i don't know see that's what i like in movies just like great action but if it says something else on top of it that's great so that's usually what i'm looking for in the action movie yeah, I mean it's it's very predictive of kind of stuff that is happening even today. Like it was it was it was oddly prescient and it had like even just like our desensitization to gore. Like I didn't even think this movie was that gory, but it at mm-hmm. the time it definitely was, but it's just this desensitization of violence and that sort of stuff, but then also the um the ways in which when you disconnect your humanity from being a police force, you see this horrible violence and you see all this stuff and it's, 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 it was prescient in what we have been discussing as a nation the past couple of years. Like it's, if you train people to stop thinking about people as humans and start thinking about them as statistics, this is what happens. This like overt violence towards groups of people that have, been stereotyped into excess violence so it's i it just seems like it's weird that there's so many things in this movie even just a little stuff on the side and i've seen starship troopers and it's kind of the same way is that like it's it's predictive in like a weird weird way to an almost accurate so it's just like it just shows that the problems we have with our justice system and stuff like that are pretty have been consistent i guess yeah, and I mean, I guess that's what, you know, you were mentioning earlier, Grant, I think that's a sign of good satire is like, well, the problems they're talking about are still consistent, or like you even said, Ryan, predicted some things that even yeah. happened, like, you know, corporate enterprise, like becoming more militaristic, like, um, didn't like Google have like a bunch of like military robots that they were like investing in, like, it's like a thing called like Big Dog or something like that. Well, I know Elon Musk constantly mention, mentions making murder drones um, as being a very simple thing that you can really get into really easily. 
Um, but I think just the um, capitalization of the not justice system, but the penal system, um, I think bringing corporate entities into that is a very similar thing to in this movie, just the militarization or at least the corporatization of the police force. Like, well, it's I, all three. The corporation owns the military yeah. and the corporation then owns the police. And so then they um, militarize the police force yeah, against the populace in order to create their shining silver city. That's what I loved is that the police, the police precinct had a gravel driveway. It, it they were, there was such a, like, I, I don't know if that was intentional, but I'm like, God damn it. They can't even, they don't even feel like investing in a asphalt parking lot for this police <laughs> precinct because it is just so, I don't know. It's uh, that just stood out to me as like, why the, <laughs> there's gotta be some reason why they didn't pave this fucking parking lot and you know corporate people want to cut costs them of course gravel is going to be cheaper than paving the uh i was surprised by the amount of comedy in the film I, it, it was really funny i loved the uh the six thousand sucks car the nuka the <laughs> commercials the interstitial commercials were a, a freaking a masterpiece <laughs> i've never seen that done in a movie before i don't know why really? i haven't okay. because it was it was uh, um, I felt really helped drive the points that it was getting at um, from the the overall film. It, it did a good job at sort of resetting you emotionally between different scenes. Mm -hmm. Just um, great world I, building. Yeah, I, I loved it. Watch Starship Troopers because it's the same There's thing. There's way more of that. <laughs> it's, it's the same thing, but with like genocide and imperialism. Like it's just, yes. it's, it's, yeah. I I thought, I would say... Starship Troopers hit a little bit harder in that. This was okay, but maybe it's just because of how consistent and like almost invasive it is in that movie. Um, it, yeah, I it goes found it more, that. yeah, absurd and comedic. Yes, but and just even totally the action is taken to eleven in that movie too. Yeah, if you want to talk about action? Just so many CG bugs at that point because they could just show like that many things on screen, you know, at that point. So yeah, everything's taken up to eleven. Yeah. in that movie, but I still prefer RoboCop. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally understand it. I thought it was great. Um, uh, it's the height of the unbelievably long or big uh, gun clips, like or gun magazines. <laughs> the sheer amount of shots that are, yeah, are just, taken without reloading. It's a mini machine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I love. I mean, that's peak 80s. Oh. The uh, the anthem that they used for him and the hammer on the anvil as the percussion for the RoboCop's primary theme in the movie that was great. Um, you know, I, I I love it when even extremely overtly uh, movies use the the music to um, push the uh, um, the narrative and and world building that they have. And so immediately after his construction, having him drive out in a police car with the driving percussion being a hammer on an anvil, fucking love it. That's great. Yeah. Uh, he's a uh, RoboCop was a thick ass boy. Yeah. That's awesome. I was ask... The dump truck on that one. <laughs> I, I and those down, lips, man. <laughs> I, I wrote down directive for eat juicy ass. <laughs> <laughs> Big asses. I mean, there's like, nudity at the beginning with the, in the police precinct or you just see a big butt shot 
Um, there's there's a lot of big butts in this movie, weirdly. I did not pick up on that. I, oh, yeah. I did pick up on RoboCop's dump truck, but I did not pick up on reoccurring theme of big butts. Yes. But, um, also, the dude who just walks out and puts body armor on, I don't know, there was like a call or something, and he just puts body armor on his naked chest. <laughs> what are you doing? That's like, it's just absurd that's and hilarious. completely no, I think, yeah, that's the guy who wanted to strike the whole time. Like, ah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Although, uh, on butts and bare chests, this movie did have a surprising amount of body horror. horror oh, yeah. Me. Oh, yeah. Um, everything yeah. from the, the toxic vat to getting that. <laughs> Hands, comes out of nowhere yeah the the hands blown off the screws coming out of the head like there was a, a fair amount of body horror in this movie yeah. that i was not prepared for and you can thank rob botin who worked on john carpenter's the thing did some of the special effects like he did animatronic where like um murphy gets like shot in the head like where he's like driving back and you just see the paint on his face like that's just the animatronic that looks really convincing um thanks rob yeah (laughs) (laughs) and yeah like um ed 209 the big dumb robot that i love uh that was animated by phil tippett who we've mentioned before uh helped out with jurassic park he also did um the walkers and uh star wars so yeah yeah he did a much better job in those two films than this one though man (laughs) ed 209 looks so out of place relative to the rest of the movie they that's, reuse that's it. fair it's fair it's like they reuse a sound from star wars when he's powering down <laughs> like it's it, I, I wouldn't doubt it <laughs> it's a clear star wars if if it's not just a complete ripoff if he just stole it from that sound base but yeah he it's it, it's clearly i think one of the walkers powering down or something like that it's just the same as it re- mm-hmm. but um do you guys want to know an interesting fact about one of the guns that they used yeah so there is like a somewhat Tommy gun esque like gun. Um, it's like silver. It's got a round barrel. Um, I think the the bad guys were using it. So that was actually a replacement for the Tommy gun in World War II. All of it is die cast. It's it it was cheap to make, and so as a replacement for the heavier duty wood handle, like more extensive, way more expensive Tommy guns that was going to be the next thing i think i wrote down what the name was called but i just thought that that was such a weird like it looks like a futuristic looking gun i i can see if i can find a picture to show you guys because you'd recognize it guns they use at the beginning because they have those like ridiculous like snipers no it's it's like a tommy gun with it's like got a long like cylindrical barrel that's like fatter um Mm -hmm. I should have pulled up a picture, but it was just I in these two films I did weirdly specific research. Um in two specific what, uh, areas. Research on guns, guns, guns. And then it was the uh, Eric <laughs> Theater. So you know, very weird sides to go off. I I loved Red Foreman in this movie. Yes. Oh my god, what a delight. Yeah. How did he not get more roles as as a villain? He yeah, absolutely like owned every scene he was in. It's just so funny, him. yeah, seeing him in this because you think of him, yeah, for that 70s show, but like he does this so well, like spitting the blood like on the table, like that was like his idea, telling the director, 
That was like his first scene. He's like, maybe I should just like spit some blood up on the team. <laughs> like, that's a great idea. But yeah, one of the all-time greatest movie villains, Clarence Boddicker. Just a joy to watch. Yeah, I got, he sort of felt like the prototype for um, a Negan from The Walking Dead mm. who, who comes later. Yeah, I, I saw a lot of very similar styles in like movement and, and charisma and that sort of I don't know, twisted, goofy, violent sort of villain. <clears throat> Ryan Quinn has started screaming. Oh, that thing. Doing okay. a weird thing. Oh. oh, that looks like something out of Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow right there. <laughs> yeah, like it is, it is, it very much looks like very futuristic and dumb. Um, now I'm uh, for, for folks Perfect at home world, who are yeah. interested, we are looking at a picture of a submachine gun caliber 0.45 M3 and M3 AI. Yes, very leading cool off stuff. of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh. Well, what we're doing is sharing pictures in a a audio mm-hmm. purely audio oh, medium. It, it was a way, uh... a way to show you guys what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. So that, it can do yeah. their own research. Yeah, I think okay. that was yeah. yeah. Well, why listen to us? You don't yeah. watch these movies and go read your own shit. Just people. look mm-hmm. at us. Look at, look up the gun that replaced the Thompson or the yeah Tommy gun. And you will see why I think it was used pretty extensively in this movie. Um, Did you guys know that Arnold Schwarzenegger almost got the role for RoboCop? What? I never could have guessed that. <laughs> Not like it's definitely up his wheelhouse. Was it something to do they with were the like, fact that it... he also did Terminator? <laughs> Hang on, up his wheelhouse? Yeah. Was that an up his alley and in his wheelhouse like oh. mishmash there? Because I love it. Oh. I want to be all up in your wheelhouse, if you know what I mean. I mean, <laughs> but yeah, they were like, no, nah, he'd look too indestructible. <laughs> it was freaking Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Um, I love that there was. It was just like the most absurd drug distribution center I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. It was just so <laughs> like industrialized. Like, I mean, they that was a it. whole ass operation that somehow never got busted. Um, probably because they had that wealthy backer. But did they hide their guns in their drugs? Because during it like they, that, they, everyone they pull out guns. Guns. They put mm-hmm. guns out of just piles of cocaine. Gotta <laughs> like, be ready for everything. <laughs> Why would you do that? Though? It's like, yeah, we don't distribute mm-hmm. cocaine. We just used it to hide our guns. <laughs> <laughs> oh, crap. I missed the chance. I got to go back to talk about it really quick on the Red Foreman villain thing. I'm looking at my notes here. And I did happen to mention that Red Foreman pulling a grenade pin with his tongue it was definitely somebody's very specific fetish that they didn't know they had until watching this movie. That is that scene was um, very, very creepy. Yes. Uh, I, I think it, with like the, the movie playing in the background, but once again, his, his charisma as the, I just, I, I mean, you have to have some charisma when your name is Clarence. I mean, Clarence <laughs> is not. A, that, that was really a funny. Just get the everyone. name of your name bed. Clarence Clarence Boddicker. Boddicker. Yeah, he was based on uh Carlos the Jacko, who was a terrorist who was known through throwing hand grenades in crowded marketplaces. So yeah, very over the top. That's funny. Um uh, uh just a, a couple points of confusion. 
um, that I had had. Uh, a, there was no way he had blood pressure when he gets to the hospital after having his hand. Yeah, that's off. What I ridiculous. I'm like, he's dead <laughs> so much, but hey, he'll make it. So like, we're, yeah, we're losing pressure. It's like, how the fuck do you have any pressure at all? <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, yeah, I was thinking that the whole time. Why did they lose his arm and keep his face? That was, re- yeah, that was really funny. Just, yeah, get rid of the arm. Can he hear us? Don't worry, we'll wipe his mind. I know, but what function does the face serve? If the if the arm had to go, why would we keep the face? For those lips, Grant, for those sumptuous lips, which was a thing they wanted in the design that I was going to get into. The director wanted him to look sexy, heroic, and reflective <laughs> of Detroit's history of automotive design. So the um, concept designer, Miles Tebbs, he looked at a book called Robot Sexy, which is a Japanese uh, book by, I'm going to butcher this name, Hajime Soriyama. And yeah, if you just look at that, it's just a bunch of sexy RoboCops in that movie or in that book. So It's about the lips. Oh, so you did some research too, Wally. It sounds like we read two. I mean, yeah, I, I would have. reading. It's weird. He already had it on his shelf. Yeah. It's a good <laughs> yeah book. Definitely, definitely <laughs> weird. What a coincidence. <laughs> I do think having watched this movie and it being hyper violent and a just scathing criticism of future America, that this movie was then uh, parodied by Alvin and the Chipmunks in a card in a cartoon, <laughs> a whole forty minute cartoon titled Robo Monk. That is oh is God. a Alvin and the Chipmunks recreation of this from the late nineties. I don't know if you guys, we, we had a lot of those movies to watch growing up, like uh, the Batmunk, which was a Batman parody done for Alvin and the Chipmunks. There was Robomunk. There was a Star Wars <laughs> Alvin and the Chipmunks. It just, I don't know what it was oh, about this film that made hits. them think. That's freaking hilarious. Oh yeah, this would be perfect to adapt to. A I think there were movie. like toys and stuff made of this. It's like, they still marketed towards kids. Yeah, there's one where it, you can just slowly disassemble this person. <laughs> yeah, shoot him. squeeze his head off. It's Yeah. <laughs> no, I just had the Elvin and the Chipmunks like around the world in 80 days one. <laughs> the actual See, normal one. That's funny. I remember one where they like became werewolves or like their oh, neighbor was yes. a werewolf. <laughs> With theme yeah. park. I had that one too. Mm-hmm. Um, They meet Frankenstein and there's a theme park yeah. where there's a man. But I got to check out Robomunk. That's insane. <laughs> yes, and then there's yeah. a werewolf one. Yeah, I'll have to check out that one too. We have to do research for the show. Um, the so Ryan, I know you periodically have your handyman corner of all the bullshit that people put in movies. Ooh, yeah, uh, I'm gonna take my <laughs> IT moment here. And uh, what the fuck was that spike input that he had on his wrist? That's hilarious. Really long, pointy USB key. <laughs> yeah, a really long, pointy <laughs> USB key. What? I How? Love that. Who thought that would be a good design? Imagine if you had to print off a report at the public library and you're bringing a USB key in that's a foot and a half long. Just that was hilarious. Dual purpose, purpose. you can kill somebody with it and then download their information, download their soul into your spike. That was yeah, that cracks me up. I watched that. Um, I enjoyed the uh, using scan lines on the screen to indicate his point of view every time we were seeing what RoboCop was seeing. 
um and yeah. how that went away when they um you know pulled off his his helmet and he sort That's of saw horrible, the world horrible was. Face. um i don't know okay ultimately <laughs> if for for like real criticism okay oh and also I need, to, I need to apologize to uh all the audience for my use of the word generally ultimately an individual i realized on my last listening that i use all those words all the time and way too much so i apologize for anybody at home who has to listen to me talk and put up with you're gonna that. keep doing it though right? I, I know i'm gonna keep doing it because I'm, I'm not gonna catch it but ultimately it's, uh, he's generally gonna keep doing it fuck right. as, an, as an individual he's definitely gonna keep doing it. <laughs> thanks guys thanks um no, I, so I enjoyed RoboCop. It was um, uh, an interesting watch. I had to educate myself on, on satire and everything like that. Um, but I don't, I feel like the period for satirical film and art has sort of passed. Um, you know, I don't think just drawing attention to an issue anymore accomplishes anything because it's not like robocop mm. presents any solutions it's just hey look at this problem and you know back in the day when people were writing like a very modest proposal and stuff like that sure people weren't didn't have as much ready access to information that um using satire as a way to bring people's attention to an issue made sense it was a a di um, easily digestible and um a way to um, consume and identify a problem without people feeling like they're being personally attacked. Um, but I think we've reached a point where information is so readily available that people are now like either willfully ignorant or obstinate of things and just drawing attention to it through satire doesn't, doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't work. Um, the yeah. don't look up the recent movie. I think that's a good example <laughs> of, I watched it and I'm like, Oh, this is pretty good. And, but halfway through the film, I'm like, Oh, this does nothing. This is just <laughs> this is just an echo chamber of people who already know that that you know um, COVID and global warming is a problem. Those who see the movie are are like, yeah, okay, this is this is great, way spot on you. And people who don't believe it's a problem are like, fuck off. This, this satire doesn't accomplish anything anymore. Yeah, everyone's like, oh, you're it's too political, or it'll make a political point that'll like ostracize certain people. So. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. See your point there, Grant. Yeah, and, and so it's hostility. It creates more hostility because it pits the people who don't believe, or yeah, who don't believe the same thing as the director or whoever wrote it, are idiots. I mean, <laughs> everybody who would watch that movie would see the other side, of like the other side from Adam McKay, as being idiots. And it's like, why? Just because I don't believe in this, I'm not an idiot. And then they just get mad. Now. Granted, as somebody who is on that, his more his side, some of their rationales do seem very idiotic, but it's it's or, not helping anybody. Yeah, it's or, making everybody just pissed off at each other. Or you run into problems with like Fight Club, which was written and designed to be a satire, but people take it at face value instead. And yeah. after that movie came up, you know, like fight clubs were popping up all across the United States. We've reached the point where people are either too stupid or too belligerent <laughs> to benefit yeah. from satire. And so I, I came away from RoboCop feeling bad instead of mm. like feeling like I enjoyed the movie. Like it, it I got a lot of good, it, it made me think I, I got a good um, 
experience from it, but I got negative feelings from it. And so this might tie into what I had mentioned on, on, um, uh, to you guys on our, our chat, but you know, this, this was a, a thinker movie and I'm finding more and more that I'm, I'm looking for movies with good heart, movies that are earnest. I'm, I'm tired of cynicism. I'm tired of irony. I'm tired of satire because it feels like we can't create or consume media anymore without a healthy layer of irony to separate us from our feelings and the feelings of the people around us. And what I love so much about Spider-Man 2 is it doesn't carry an ounce of irony. It, it unlike RoboCop, um, which is is got irony and satire built into its very core. Um, Spider-Man 2 is earnest and upfront and just has a be good to each other. You know, self-sacrifice is beneficial. If we all help each other out, then at the end, we all get to be happy. Um, where RoboCop is, shit is bad. Shit is going to get worse. And I mean, even at the very end, the corporation isn't undone. He still has Directive 4 programmed in his system. He still can't stop the corporation. The only reason he's able to help save the day is because the one guy gets fired. The corporation still has all the power at the end of the film. There's like, and, and sure that has a, a heavy message, but it still doesn't, it doesn't pose any solutions. It doesn't help you walk away feeling like, hey, I need to make a change or I can help make a change. It's just shit is bad. It's going to get worse. And there's literally nothing you can do about it. Even the hero of the movie can't do anything about it. And RoboCop, he's still beholden to the corporation. And so I just, I enjoyed it. But guys, I, it's a cautionary it so tale. Sad. It's it a cautionary so tale about a future. Now, granted, we are watching it in a 30, yeah, quasi, quasi point in that future. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> So I, I guess I can understand that, but I think treating not not saying or saying that don't look up is just dumb because it's not accomplishing anything is exactly what people did in Robocop or to Robocop and they treated it at face value and they didn't look at it deeper and actually try and change something about their world. Um that now like I think Don't Look Up should get people more excited than it does. And I think the apathy of just wanting a movie to be nice and kind is, it's detrimental. I mean, movies are the, are our number one export. Like it's, it's the thing that we as a country produce that meets the eyes and the ears and the brains of the most people in the world. Mm Mm-hmm. And we still can't but, change anything because or we can't change anything with them. Yes, but I don't think I, I want to clarify. I don't think the movie needs to be kind. I think we need to be removing these layers of irony and satire that seem to coat every modern film that we're exporting that separate people from the message from the theme. And we need to come back to the more earnest and direct films, those immediate appeals to humanity and emotion um i if i I think we're going to use art to make any effective change this this whole postmodern approach of being unable to um uh, appreciate anything for what it is um the the nihilistic stance of you know shit is bad it's going to get worse and there's nothing we can do about it 
Um, it, it just, I, I feel like it's, it's continuing to be more detrimental and um, having seen RoboCop now, I, you know, I, I thought that these were immediate fe- like feelings of this current era. And so it is sort of comforting to see that, Oh no, these thoughts go back all the way to the, <laughs> yeah. the aughts and the nineties and the eighties. Um, and even some of the earlier films um, in, in the the sixties and seventies, you know, at least I'm, we're not alone in that feeling, but I just, I, I feel like our defensive move towards satire, towards irony is proving to be um, more detrimental. I will say though, Grant, yeah, as dour as this movie is, as much of a cautionary tale as it is, it's, you know, it has that irony. It just, that's all, yeah, coded throughout. But like at the very end still, like there is a glimpse of humanity. There's still humanity within this corporate made, you know, killing machine from the outside there's still a human in there there's still someone who can rise above all that to some degree you know there's there's a i feel robocop yeah is a cautionary tale where at the end there is a little bit of a glimmer of hope like he says i am murphy you know he there's still the man there beneath everything else that's going on regardless of how much you brainwash somebody you can't take away their humanity it's like i don't know i get it wally and yeah, the fact that it is so dour, like just really elevates that like humanity at the end. It's not sugar coated or anything, but it's like it's a cautionary tale. But like, yeah, so, shit's just getting worse. There's still humanity there. There's still what, just a glimmer of you, hope. We need what to about, use that what humanity. What about the, the villains of the film though, then? Um, and, and this isn't a uh, disagreement. This is Grant being uh, uh, the devil's advocate and just opening up more conversation. Um, if we saw humanity in the corporate made killing machine how come we didn't see humanity in the actual humans in clarence and his gang in the the streets of detroit there that the film presented to us because being think, human is a choice yes and that having we're humanity is a choice from and, the cautionary tale just like the people in the corporation that have stripped away their humanity clarence also clarence and his gang also have stripped away their humanity and that's why they become grotesque monsters like this picture behind Wally. Yeah, <laughs> they're grotesque monsters, but we see like they're happy and doing what they want to do. They're happy with that choice. You know, we know it's the wrong thing to do, but it's like it's just so just blatantly they're enjoying what they're they're doing, even though it's the wrong thing, even though it's the morally wrong thing. They've just made a niche for themselves. And it takes, you know, one person to be like, you know, this is wrong. Yeah, well, I, I stand corrected, Ryan. I love the analogy you gave for, for folks at home who can't see the image. It's a, a picture of the uh, one of Boddicker's gang after he gets <laughs> hit in the toxic vat. Um, you know, some of that body horror we talked about earlier. But you're right. I guess the movie does take the the human people that are monsters and turn them more into monsters by the end of the film compared to RoboCop, who starts as a monster and adopts more humanity and by the end of it you see more of it he takes the helmet off you see his face okay yeah all right you convinced me there's uh, <laughs> but, the but well i i will say that that kind of depth is lost in like modern satirical movies and modern critical movies like i you kind of just get the humanity of the one side well i guess i don't know i it's a good point because maybe I guess you kind of see, you know, Leo and that group eating dinner at the end. And then you also see the people who just 
fucked off to another planet and immediately get murdered. They get their come comeuppance, but I feel like it's less it's less in in modern I completely understand that. Yeah, I gotta check out this movie. It's called Don't Look Up, right? Okay. Yeah, it's. I mean, awesome cast: Jennifer Lawrence, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, um, Jonah uh, Hill, Jonah Meryl Hill. Streep. Um, it's, it's basically Tyler a, Perry. a, a giant um, satirical take on climate change and the COVID crisis. Of hey, there's this big obvious problem and a very easy solution to it, and people can't agree on mm -hmm. the basic facts and and premise of the world and and of science to make positive change. Um, and ultimately, the idiots of the world and the rich corporations that empower them uh, doom the planet to destruction. Um, and it's, it's, you know, satirical take on, um, like I said, COVID and climate change that I felt ended up landing flat because people have already made their choices. You know, we, we can't, we can't, I don't think we can get through this problem with education because a lot mm. of groups have proven that they can't be educated and that's and we why need to overcome it through emotional appeal and i loved there's like a steve jobs like amalgamation of like all these different um social media slash um technology creators in there that basically just calls that out he's just like no i know exactly how you think i know all of your algorithms you sold your soul to me and i can predict what you're going like it's it's creepy that he's it's it's true is that our algorithm algorithms can predict everything we're doing and we think that education is going to change how we think we're going to do mm. but in reality it doesn't well and i should holy cow i need to uh I need, <laughs> i'm hitting the panic button on this conversation really quick i need to clarify um education is always going to be uh the the best method to overcoming a problem, people um, learning about issues, ways to solve them. Um, education is always going to be the solution. What we're, we're coming up against is people who are using um, a moral foundation to reject education. Yeah, and I we can't overcome a, a moral objection, right or wrong, to educating yourself via additional education. What we need to be able to educate people is get them in the mindset to take that. And I'm, I'm proposing that the way we do that is through direct emotional appeals, like in movies like Spider-Man, rather than obfuscating them in irony and satire, like in RoboCop. What is Spider-Man trying to educate you to do? Self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice, taking responsibility for your actions, being good to your fellow man. Um, we see that in the people of New York when they back Spider-Man at their personal risk. We see that with Spider-Man where he realizes that um, just like Aunt May says, sometimes you have to be steady and give up what you want most in order to do the right thing. We see that in Doc Ock, who does the same thing. He gives up his life goal. He gives up the thing he and his wife were working towards in order to correct his mistakes. Um, it, and that movie does not carry an ounce of cynicism or nihilism or anything. It, it truly believes and postulates that if we are all willing to step up and be better, um, to each other and be willing to put in the work and make sacrifices of ourselves, things will be better for all of us. You know, M MJ and um, Peter get to be happy at the end because they're both willing to make sacrifices for each other. You know, Peter was willing to step away and Mary Jane was willing to step in. And so Peter can continue to serve the public, um, 
uh, and, um, you know, be sort of free in his conscience that um, he's made the right choice and Mary Jane can be free to step in and say, hey, I get to make my own choices. I choose to be with you. And she can also um, help him uh, in a way that he needs where he doesn't have that emotional support anywhere else. Okay. So, the, yeah. That was, no, the, that's the what answer. I wanted. So, that's okay. what I wanted. <laughs> exactly. Because, <laughs> well, and it also kind of, and I, I don't want to be forced into this idea of you need to know both sides. Like, there's good people on both that sort of mentality, but you need to educate yourself completely. He, Peter, knew Doc Ock's motivations. He learned them. He understood them. And that's why he was able to provide a whole enough argument to convince him to go against what he believed I, it kind of i i don't want to be too political but the stuff that's happening with book censorship in the southern united states right now i think is is mm. exactly what what is is kind of leading the charge on miseducation and inability to be educated fully you're, you don't you will never understand how to be or how to gain humanity if you can't understand why that other person is losing their humanity yeah and that that's oh. why i clarified that edu- yeah. education is always the solution and yeah I what i was a little, saying a little political ever since i had my kid i realized well shit i gotta start doing doing my my duty to preparing the world for him so that's everything mm. from writing my senators to um, getting involved in in local politics, I, I strongly encourage everyone listening. Like, uh, hey, we got to step up and just like Spider Man, make some self sacrifices in order to start making things better for uh, the world around us. So, um, you know, please do. Shit's getting worse. We don't want RoboCop. We want Spider Man. Yeah. <laughs> Again, it's a cautionary tip. I don't even know if we necessarily want Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> i'll be honest better though it seems like as soon as you get a superhero of any sort all of these supervillains like they rise to the occasion <laughs> let's just have 300 plus million people being good citizens and thinking about the future and everybody else that yeah that'd be pretty nice that'd that'd be way better than spider-man yeah i like that mm-hmm. all right so okay. i'm voting for three <laughs> i don't even know how many more we have 350 million people i'm voting for that i'm not voting for any of the movies <laughs> no so do we come down to, i i think probably through this tangential conversation i i think you guys have uh maybe picked up on my point um are we mm-hmm. oh, well i guess are we ready to come yeah, to votes do we, we are. have any other comments to vote okay Oof. yeah i uh yeah. i'll start here since i've you know i apologize you guys had to listen to me monologue for the last 10 minutes but yeah i gotta go spider-man um uh it was a classic foundational film for me i think it's got a wonderful message um just like a knight's tale i love its earnestness and directness it it doesn't shy away from its faults uh i accept that there are many of them um the the acting can be wooden in places the uh plot may not be the strongest um but i think it's stylish i think it's full of heart Uh, i gotta go spider-man too Okay, I will say, Grant, I mentioned this in our our text chain too, saying that it doesn't shy away from its faults is a very dumb statement because nobody makes a movie expecting there to be faults. <laughs> it's not, like, A Knight's Tale, I would say, doesn't have any filmmaking faults. There's nothing in A Knight's Tale that is 
like there's no poor acting there's no, it, there's it no instances the, where the, uh, the limitations of the medium there's no that? instances where the filmmaking process is detrimental to the story if the story is bad that's when we get into the problems um and so that's what i'm saying saying that knight's tale is a better representation of that than spider-man because there are parts of the filmmaking process that aren't very great um but i um i this was a hard one because i think they like i said i think part of the reason why i was so harsh against spider-man is that it just didn't it didn't compare to my my rose tinted glasses version of it from when i was younger um, I get that there's I and maybe it's just watching more movies with more complex um, dynamics. I think there was a better. I I will stand by the fact that I think there was a better way to create Doc Ock to make him more parallel to Peter Parker, in a more interesting way, so that that final climactic discussion that changes his mind would have been more impactful. Um, but uh, I think I'm gonna have to go with Spider Man too. Really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I Robocop is good, but it does get into that idea of like the 12 angry men of it all. And Grant, you, uh, you laid it out. Is that like it's 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 preaching something. And part of me is just like, God, we fucking failed so hard to even do <laughs> anything to fix this yeah. at all. We just let it happen and we continue to let it happen because it was the easiest solution. <laughs> and that's really shitty. Um, and yeah, I guess Spider-Man 2 just, I, I will also argue that it was rude that nobody brought up the fact that this feels like a second film in its series. Like there's, in the same way that Lord of the Rings 2 is, it's like, if you didn't understand any of these characters, dynamics, fucking James Franco's character made no goddamn sense if you didn't realize what happened in the first movie. Him talking about a green goblin and killing his father there's there's a lot of things that if you didn't understand the medium, which at this point it's impossible for us to look at that objectively. <laughs> yeah, we know yeah. it. So we've seen it so many mm. times. That's, um, yeah. It is. It could be a little obtuse for people being the second film in this series. Granted, another thing about these the newer movies is just seeing how much Willem Dafoe's character has advanced since the first of those movies. So I will argue that. The second movie is the better of the two. If we were going to go in that route, I'd rather watch Spider-Man 2 than Spider-Man 1. But yes, I, I will go with Spider-Man 2. Okay. Right. Being the lone wolf uh, on this one, these are two movies that I absolutely love. And it is really interesting just watching them back to back because from the outside, oh, they're both superhero movies, right? They both have a lot of action. No, <laughs> they're both like anti-versions of each other. One's all about heart. One's about, like you said, Grant, just a thinking person's movie. And like, if I'm going to pick mm, the best movie of all time, I feel we have a lot of Spider-Man 2s like already in the running, you know. So um, RoboCop is a movie that just like defied all my expectations. And I enjoy it every time I watch it. Like I said, it feels different every time there's something new I get out of the film. We mentioned like, oh, it kind of feels like a 12 Angry Men. Well, we said 12 Angry Men was like homework. This is like fun homework. I always enjoy uh, watching this movie. Like it is a movie you could teach in film class. Like it works as a big, as as a Hollywood like blockbuster, but also just an art piece. And that, you know, very much comes with 
its director. Like, it's definitely not everyone's cup of tea. I enjoyed the cynicism of it all just because it has that glimmer of humanity at the end. Like, if there wasn't that in there, then it, this would just be a dour film that, I mean, I might enjoy, but would be really hard to recommend to other people. But it's just like all these working things going in this movie, all these layers, it just makes it uh, just a wonderful experience. And like I said, I still love Spider-Man 2. That is still my favorite superhero movie, but I'd say RoboCop edges it a little bit higher in my book. That's fair. Well, that was one hell of a dissenting opinion there. That was uh, some very strong arguments and uh, sorry we went the other way, but yeah. You know, apologize. I, I love Spider-Man Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, that was very well spoken and well said, Wally. Fuck yeah, pizza time though. Thank Lord. <laughs> I mean, I the fact that we watched the this movie uh, at Grant's bachelor party, I think yes. it's a testament to the quality of this movie. Um, it is something that is fun to watch as a group. Uh, watching it alone, I think that's why it turned into a like, God, there's a lot of problems with this movie. That's, that's true. <laughs> well, I, I was I, just sitting there crying, oh, Uncle Ben, it's okay. Spider-Man will come back. <laughs> <laughs> I know Uncle Ben. Yeah. <laughs> but Okay, so uh, congrats to Spider-Man 2 for moving on. Yeah. Um, is there anything else anybody wants to say before we slowly wrap this up? No, excellent. Um, find us. That sounds good. Yeah. Uh, we are on Facebook at uh, boat underscore pod. I think that's the same as Instagram, uh, boat underscore pod. We are on Twitter at um, the best of all time podcast. Uh, please follow us or drop us any sort of comment. Uh, it would be really nice to hear from everybody. Um, Grant has disappeared. I think he has Bye, fallen asleep. <laughs> um, so that's totally fine. He's just going to milk this podcast record for a couple more minutes and just take a micro nap. <laughs> um, Wally, how do we finish it? Bowls and small the gravy, everyone. We're boat casting off. <laughs> Whoosh.